Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for this day. We thank you for your word and uh, the beauty that it instructs us and teaches us. And I pray, Lord, especially today when we come around language that seems to be rather confusing, may we see how your wisdom is for all time and, uh, and requires us to learn more about you in the process. So help us to do that today, God. It's all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so let's just call it out right away. Why in the world did we pick out this section of scripture to talk about? Bond servants and servants. This becomes kind of strange and weird. And I can promise you uh, today we're going to talk about Ephesians chapter 6. It is confusing unless we understand the context of what it is discussing and talking about. Um, And I'm going to get there, but in order to get there, I want to kind of set it up so that we can have a proper context to hear the beauty of what Paul, the author of the book of Ephesians, is saying and the wisdom that it has for us today. And to do that, I want to begin with a little story. Uh, When I was in college, uh, when I came home over the summertime, I had a couple of strange, odd jobs. And one of them was uh, I was a pizza delivery boy, all right? Uh, This isn't a picture of me right here, by the way. Uh, But I worked for a pizza uh, shop called John's Pizza in downtown St. Paul. Grew up in the Twin Cities area. I wasn't really familiar with the downtown St. Paul area. I found this job Uh, on a newspaper ad and actually ended up getting the job. And uh, and if you've ever spent any time in downtown St. Paul, uh, it is a very confusing place to navigate. There are one-way streets all over the place. In fact, one person wrote an article saying uh, that St. Paul, Minnesota is where the streets have two names. If you know the cultural reference there where the streets have no names, this is kind of a play on that, all right? Not that funny, apparently. So, uh, but anyways, where the streets have two names, where all of a sudden you would go one, you'd be on one street and then you'd go a block and all of a sudden the street name would change. Now, that is very irrelevant for most people, but for a pizza delivery boy, this becomes very confusing. And so I remember uh, showing up to my job the first night. I worked every Friday and Saturday night on weekends. So that was like the high time for pizza delivery. And, and when I showed up to the job, the, the first day, they had me uh, go with an, an expert of the St. Paul streets to kind of learn the feel of it. And in the back of the pizza shop was this massive map that we had to study and, and learn the important streets and where streets would change and all sorts of stuff. Now, now to put into context, this was a number of years ago. So this is before like iPhones, Google Maps, 
Waze, whatever it is that you use, right? The, the whole way of understanding how to deliver pizza in an appropriate time took some studying of a map. They, in fact, gave me a little brochure, like, you know, like a little map that I would keep in my car if I got lost. It required me in the process that I would have to learn the streets, understand the system, and, and know when the roads would switch names. Fast forward a number of years to last weekend. I'm with uh, Gretchen and I, and we're uh, going to hang out with some friends, and we decide uh, that night that we're gonna take a lift. And uh, the guy shows up within three minutes, which is really impressive, and uh, we get in the car, and I decide to tell him the story that I was a pizza delivery driver. We kind of had the same job. Gretchen rolled her eyes in the whole process. And, uh, and I began to ask him, I was like, where are you coming from? All sorts of stuff. And he's like, well, I live in the north side of Chicago. I had to drop somebody off at O'Hare. He says, I have no idea where I am right now, except I've got this little phone that is directing me every single way I'm supposed to go. And you know, because you've probably used your GPS in some way, shape, or form where it has the estimated time of arrival on there. And I'm one of those people that tries to beat that time all the time instead of it being a suggestion as to when I'm going to arrive. That's a whole side note, right? But, but point being this, my point is, how do you think, how do you think God works with his people? Do you... Do you think that God is somebody who is providing a GPS for our lives, giving us exact directions in every little step and move that we make so that we hit the estimated time of arrival or maybe even beat it? See, I think for some of us, we, we want God to be this for us. We don't want to make a wrong move. We want to know how long I have to suffer in this job till I finally get a raise and move up in the world. Or if I just put in enough time and energy and effort in my studies that eventually I will meet the mark that I need to hit. But unfortunately, I would be willing to say that life doesn't work like a GPS. In fact, the way God works with us doesn't seem to fit that way at all. I'd be willing to argue that instead the way God acts amongst his people is a compass. You've seen one of these before, right? One that gives you instruction or lets you know where you're facing and which direction you are going. But to really utilize a compass well you have to learn more about how to use it, which I believe God is doing in our walk with him. One that requires us to learn more about him, to study who he is and how he acts. In the process of doing that, that means that we learn some things about ourselves. And then in the process of that, that leads us to do certain things for others that maybe we wouldn't ever do otherwise. Today, we're going to continue on in a series called The Gospel at Work. And what we mean by this is simply this, that the gospel, being the good news of Jesus, is at 
not work in our work. And when I mean work, I'm not saying the thing that pays the bills only. It includes that. But your work is also the callings that you have, the relationships that you have, your role as a student, your role in relationships. The good news of Jesus is at work in all of those things. And if you've been with us, you know that week number one, we talked about that work is integral, not incidental to the mission of God. We use this image of a gardener and how our work is a distinctive thing that God gives his people. He gives human beings a job description to work, which is different than anything else in creation. And then the second week, we talked about Well, the work and the job that we're giving can be very frustrating because it can be fruitless, pointless, and selfish at times. And we need to better define those things to deal with the reality of the difficulty that work brings in this world. And today, I want us to understand that God, in your work, is giving you a compass not a GPS, not one with exact detail of every little decision that needs to be made, but he wants you to know what's most important to understand where you are. And on that compass, excuse my terrible PowerPoint skills here today, but if I were to put a north on this compass of how God works with his people, Essentially, what he wants you to always be aware of is what does it look like to love God and to love your neighbor? What God is always wanting you to be aware of is how in the world do we love God and love our neighbor? Uh, Paul our author from Ephesians also wrote in the book of Colossians, he said this, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. The reality is, is that your work is intended to be for God. And when we do what God has created us to do, we are living as God has created us to live. And there's great freedom that comes when we understand this. But the question becomes simply this, how in the world do we do that? What in the world does that even look like? Uh, Recently, I received a text message from somebody just totally out of the blue. I think sometimes this happens just because of my profession, like I have answers to all things, which is so not true. But one person reached out to me, they're a student right now, and this is literally the question that they asked. Does the Bible speak to how businesses should be run? said, I'm writing a paper on the influences of biblical teachings on businesses making profit, so I'd like your input. And for me, that was like, oh man, I, this is great. This is a great question. I got really excited about this. And I think that it is a really important question for us to be asking. How should a business be run? Essentially, what's behind that question is if you're Uh, living as a follower of Jesus, and we desire to look, live, and love more like Jesus, how does that influence my work, my job, the very things that God has called me to do? 
Or maybe another way to put it is what makes something a Christian business and what makes it not? Now, a simple understanding of this question would come to this kind of logic. To make something Christian means that we have to have some sort of Christian symbol to indicate that it is Christian. As if we need to put like one of those little Jesus fishes in there. Or if there's a T in our logo, we turn it into a cross. Clever, right? Is that what makes something Christian? Or or maybe simple logic has this thought of that, well, for it to be Christian, that means that it only should benefit Christian people. That it only should be for a segment of people. And if If we take this logic, I think we've misunderstood what it means to love God and to love our neighbor. Because I think God is way more concerned about your work being not what your logo looks like for your company or only serving those who think the same way that you do. Instead, I'd be willing to argue that what makes something a Christian understanding is more around how we work and the motivation behind our work. What, what God wants us to understand is that we would see this compass that he has laid out for us and is concerned about our motivation behind what we do and how we do it. See, most times, uh, the, the big rules and instructions that God gives us, if we were to look at the Ten Commandments, those like, are great principles to put into play, and they're obvious, like, duh statements, especially when it comes to your work. For example, God says that you should not murder somebody. That's a good principle for your job, right? Like, it's good for you as a person because that's not what you're created to do, It's good for your neighbor because they're not going to buy your product if they're not living. And it's good for the reputation of the business if you don't practice in that way. But the reality is, is that 80% of the decisions that we have in life aren't as black and white as that. It becomes really challenging. And what we want is wisdom. We want some principles to say, what does it look like to love God and to love our neighbor. I love uh, the author Tim Keller. He says this in his book, Every Good Endeavor. It's a great read. He says this, that there, are no, there is no biblical law that tells us what job to take, when to go back to school, whom to marry and befriend, when to speak out or hold your peace, whether to make a deal or walk away. Yet the wrong decisions can blow up your life. Maybe you're feeling that today. Maybe you're in the middle of that season right now. Regretting something that you said on Friday. Or something that you avoided to say. I need us to understand that that God isn't operating like a GPS. He's operating like a compass. He's challenging you and me to always understand what does it look like to love him and to love our neighbor. As I said before, 
When we ask this question over and over and over again, it won't provide us always with a simple answer. It'll be messy and tough to navigate. But, but it requires us to learn more about who God is. It requires us to study his word more. In the process of doing that, we learn more about ourselves. We learn who we are. And we learn not to overestimate or underestimate who we are in light of who God is. And we learn wisdom in the process of experience and grace and forgiveness. Because the compass that God gives us wants to teach us how constantly point us to the direction of loving God and loving our neighbor. And so it's with that understanding that we come to Ephesians chapter 6. This text in Ephesians that seems to be rather strange, but actually is very beautiful for us to understand. Now let me begin by saying that when we talk about bondservants and masters and obedience. I want to be very clear here. The Bible has never and will never endorse slavery as it was experienced in our country. This is not what Paul is talking about. We're talking about two completely different things here. Now, you might say, well, wait a second, Pastor Dave. People use the Bible as a justification for slavery in the United States of America. And you are right in saying that. But I want to be very careful for us to understand this is all the more reason why we have to know the compass. Because that is not what Paul is addressing and talking about in that society and time. Because it says the word slave and master, that that means that we impose that as it was understood in our country just a few years ago. This is a poor understanding and a poor reading of what the scriptures are actually talking about. Because what God is going to continually push his people to is this compass of understanding that he wants us to know what it means to love God and love other people. It's not just so that you can get the most money and abuse people. That is not the purpose and plan of who God is. And so when we come to a text like Ephesians chapter 6, we have to understand the context. But I also want to be clear to say that many people also use the Bible during those periods of slavery to say that this is wrong in how it is being implemented in our society and culture. One guy named William Wilberforce who had this conviction of the way that slavery was being done and he says that the Bible, when understood in this understanding of loving God and loving others, it forces us to radical application in how we live. And with that, then we understand more of what Ephesians chapter 6 has to say. Because in Ephesians 6, 
it's talking about two kinds of people. There's those who are known as the bondservants, and then there are those who are known as the masters. And if we were to put a cultural context that fits for us here today, I would call that like employer and employee. Because the relationship that exists here, that Paul is talking about, was never something that was race-based, and it was seldom something that was lifelong. It was more described as, like what we experience today, as an employer and employee, and he has some beautiful wisdom and principles to help us understand the compass of how God works here. So I want to give you three principles here for employees and, and what it looks like for us here today. First off, what's interesting is that we notice that Paul here is addressing this very important thing. He is changing the audience for us as people. He's saying whether you're an employer or an employee, he wants us to understand that our audience is not any other person, but our audience of who we are are seeking approval from, who we are working for, who is watching over us is God. He's the one that is watching and who is our motivation behind what we do. In fact, look at Ephesians chapter six, verse five. It says this, don't just do what you have to do to get by, Paul says, but work heartily as Christ's servants doing what God wants you to to do. Uh, This is an important principle to understand as an employee, to understand that, that your work isn't just about getting it done. You work for a greater reason than working for the weekend. You, you work for a greater purpose and meaning, and that requires full engagement in the things that you do. That's greater engagement, not just in what pays the bills, that's also in being a student. That's in the relationships that God has given you. So the first principle that he gets to is this, that this is not just about paying the bills, this is for the one who has created you. Your job, your calling is to work for the one who has created you. And when we understand this, When we put this into play, this this changes our motivation. And it frees us from this bondage of feeling like we have to please a boss or please an employer. It brings great freedom for our lives. And it changes the motivation behind what we do and why we do it. Because if you are working for a job and it's all about the money, I promise you that that isn't going to be enough motivation to keep going. And I'm fully aware that we need money, right? We need money to operate and and work in this world. But what I'm saying is that you are created for more than just making money. You hear me on this? You're created for more than just making money. Your motivation behind what you do is more than that. Paul continues here, he says in Ephesians chapter six, verse five, he says, servants, or I would say employee, respectfully obey your earthly masters, but always 
with an eye to obeying the real master Christ. This is important. He says here that Paul is saying in this relationship of employee and employer, there should be a matter of respect, that we should show respect. Now, other translations would, would write this as like fear or awe. And, and, and to understand in the original language, we're not talking about like fear as in like a terror movie, like It Part Two or something like that, all right? Fear or, or respect is more like, more like inviting somebody over to your home and you want to impress. So that means you, you pull out all the nice stuff. You, you, you find the perfect recipe, the family recipe. Everybody eats at the table. That kind of respect is what Paul is arguing for that we should show those who are our employers. Meaning that we are willing to show respect because of who they are. And Paul continues here in Ephesians 6, 7. He says, always keeping in mind that no matter who happens to be giving the orders, you're really serving God. This is kind of an interesting line here by Paul. He says, no matter who happens to be giving the orders, you're really serving God. The way that I could summarize that for employees, that that to work well means that we have integrity in what we do. It's not something that we just overperform when we're under a performance review. <laughs> when the boss is just looking over us and all of a sudden I like act busy in so many different ways. And it's also not a matter of that when the boss is away that I just do whatever I want. We have integrity in what we do. But what I love about this teaching is that while he gives these principles in play, again, with understanding the compass of what it looks like to love God and love others, he doesn't just like talk about employees. He also talks about how employers should act. And he says this in regards to employers, two things. He says the first one, is that masters or employers, it's the same with you. No abuse, please, and no threats. I don't know where you're sitting today if you're just somebody who's like, yeah, I'm just in the employee realm. I, I work my job. I do everything. I have a boss that's over me. Maybe, maybe you're somebody who's an employer. I, I want us to hear this because I think this is really beautiful. Paul is saying that there should be no abuse and no threats. And I think it's beautiful because it's really hard to do. I know this because I threat my, threaten my kids all the time. Gretchen just laughed. She knows. I do this with my son Malachi. Like, hey, dude, if you don't clean up your room, you're not playing your Nintendo Switch. Right? Maybe your parents still say that to you today. All right? I don't know. This is so easy for us to do, to just motivate people by threatening them. And we think that that's the way to do it. 
But what Paul is getting at here is something that's really important and beautiful for us to understand. That if we only motivate out of threat and abuse, think about the relationship that you have created. One that is not a reflection of how God works with you and me. Imagine if God was like, well, you didn't make your bed today. Oh, can't spend eternity with me, right? This is not how our God works. And as a result, in loving other people, we need to be better than just threatening people and abusing people. That there needs to be something more explaining why we believe and do what we do. And in the process, one of the things that I'm working on as a parent is to fight for the heart of the matter. It's not just about the result. It's fighting for the heart in the process. And Paul continues here. He says in Ephesians 6, 9, talking about employers, he says, you and your servants are both under the same master in heaven. He makes no distinction between you and them. I love this. Paul says that, that God, sees that you both serve the same audience, which is God. And as a result, that affects how we look at others, especially as an employer. It should look radically different than the way that the world would want us to live. It changes our audience when we understand the compass that God has given us to love God, to love others. We might say, all right, Pastor Dave, um, I don't work for the church. My, my boss is the furthest thing from a Christian. I, I, can't, I can't stand who they are feel like they're constantly putting me in difficult positions and spots. I, I, I'm an employer and I have people that work for me. And are you saying that I'm only supposed to hire Christians? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not trying to provide a simple answer to a very complex problem. But if that's the scenario that we find ourselves in, I'd say, well, what in the world am I supposed to do here? And I would be willing to argue that it does not matter if your boss is a Christian or not. You should still seek to love God, to love your neighbor. That calling is greater. And, and if your job is putting you in a position of where that's constantly pushing you away, man, I'd love to have a cup of coffee and we can talk about the complexities of that. But your calling in your work, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, you're called to love God and to love others, to serve others. And the motivation behind that is simply because this is what God has done for us. This is so who God is. 
It's not that Jesus came and died on a cross only for those who were good and lived perfectly and followed all of the instruction that he did. If that was the case, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come. But the reality is, is that we read of Jesus is that he is the one who emptied himself. He was the one who took on the form of a servant, Paul says in Philippians chapter two. By the way, the word servant there in the original language is doulos, slave. Jesus came in the lowest form possible to serve and love and show us what it means to love God and to love others. This changes our audience, it changes our motivation, it changes our understanding of the world. If I were to give just like three simple little things that if like tangibly what I think this affects us and who we are, I would say this. This, this understanding of the compass of loving God and loving our neighbor means that we understand that, that we're not called to be ruthless in our work. That, that we're called to be generous in the things that we do and that we're called to be calm and poised in the midst of difficulty. Because God has given us a compass, an understanding of how to live in this world. And the question that we need to be asking ourselves again and again every single day is how can I love God and love my neighbor as myself? To finish with this simple point is this. The beautiful yet frustrating thing is this. God has placed you in your job, in the relationships that you have for a reason. And that is the classroom where you get to work on loving God and loving other people. I hope that you would struggle and wrestle with this and know that God's not gonna give you the exact answer, the exact direction, but he is gonna constantly point you to that, to loving God and loving others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who lives that example, who gives us great wisdom. And Lord, I, I know that we're talking in such broad statements here this morning, knowing that, that we each have callings that you have placed us to be in. I pray, God, that we would see it, those callings, through the filter of how you act for us. And I pray, Lord, that we would wrestle more with the love that you have provided and how that overflows into loving those around us. That's a beautiful yet difficult task to do. And Lord, we know that that took you coming and giving your life so that that could happen. I pray, Lord, that we would find hope in that. I pray that we would be challenged in that. And I pray, God, that, that we would wrestle with that as a community 
to encourage one another to look, live, and love more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.